This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Odds and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Premier, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. We are 24 hours or a little bit more than that. Post Mario Cristobal officially leaving the Oregon Duck football program, the Ducks opening up a coaching search for the third time now in five seasons, and we're going to dive into this. Uh, we've got some, we've had some time to make some phone calls. We've had some time to speak with Rob Mullins, Oregon's athletic director, uh, and we've had some time to, to to process this. And before we do, uh, there is some news to get to. Um, We're going to dive into, first and foremost, Brian McClendon, Oregon's receiver and passing game coordinator on the offense side of the football, has been elevated to the interim head coach. Um, I think, guys, this is, first and foremost, a very strategic move. Um, I I like this move by Oregon Athletic Director Rob Mullins to maybe make a play to keep McClendon interested in being on staff with whoever comes in to replace Mario Cristobal in some capacity. I'm kind of angry. We didn't think this through yesterday. Not that I'm mad at us, but just that it, it, it kind of makes some sense. Doesn't it? That this is who you would put in this position. We ran through candidates for the interim and we didn't bring him up. And we ran through people we thought would leave to follow Mario. And he was one of the names we brought up. So um, it does make sense from Olin's perspective. He also has interim head coaching experience from his time at Georgia, I think in 2016 or 15. Um, one of those two years, it's been a while, but needless to say, this is somebody with incredible experience. This is somebody who clearly, you, I mean, if you pull the fan base, this is the, one of the coaches that they really want, that Oregon fans really want to keep is Brian McClendon has been a tremendous mm-hmm. job as a recruiter, um, has uh, offensive coordinating experience at South Carolina, albeit I think somewhat, some are very critical of his work that I don't know if it was necessarily a good fit there. And I don't know if it would be better at Oregon, but I do think, Matt, that you don't make this move unless you're really uh, jockeying and positioning yourself to retain Brian McClendon. Yeah. Um, now, my question is, in what capacity going forward? And this is obviously something we don't know now. Um, we'll be curious to see going forward if he is retained. Is it as a receivers coach? Do they promote him to offensive coordinator, where, again, he has um, some experience? Regardless, I think this is significant. Um, this is somebody that, from everything we hear, the players absolutely love playing for him, like the receivers in the room. It's just, they, this is their guy. And um, I think we even saw Dante Thornton tweet out last night, be Mac for head coach, um, which would probably not a thing I anticipate happens, but this is, that worked not too long ago to keep <laughs> around and he was the head coach. And it was because his position group loved him so much that they kind of banded together with the rest of the team. So I'm not saying or suggesting that's happening. I would be very surprised ultimately if he's the long-term head coach, but I think it makes a ton of sense to to keep him happy, try to keep him around as long as possible. And maybe by attaching this tag, you communicate your interest in, in keeping him around past, I guess, December 30th when when they uh, finish the regular season for the season. This was a surprising move. I, uh, I'm like like you, Eric. I was a little disappointed in, in 
us like not figuring that one out. But, uh, you know, I really like it. Um, I think Brian McClendon could do a lot of good things in just this short amount of time. Uh, it's clear that Rob Mullins wants to keep him around. I think that's a really good idea. Um, he's a terrific recruiter as well mm -hmm. as being a terrific wide receivers coach. Um, like you mentioned, Eric, he has interim experience. He took over in 2015 for Georgia when Mark Richt, um, I believe, I think was let go before the, the I have it right here, the Tax Slayer Bowl. So oh, big bowls. That was, yeah, bad year for Georgia. Um, but he has that interim head, head coach experience at um, South Carolina under Will Muschamp. He was offensive coordinator for two years and co-offensive coordinator for another. Uh, you know, he has a lot of a lot of professional experience, and I think that's huge, too. Uh, I was surprised just because I thought it would be Tim DeRuiter um, with no Moorhead on staff anymore. I thought that that was like the slam dunk, the easy hire for this interim position or just defensive line coach Joe Salavea. Um, but I think keeping uh, BMAC as, as Brian McClendon is um, around is going to really help the team in general. Uh, they, he just has a different kind of edge. It's not like a Mario Cristobal edge where it's intensity and really just, you know, grinding grit and stuff like that. But McClendon, like just from fall practices, we're able to watch him work with the wide receivers. Like those guys listen. And I don't think it's any surprise to see how much improved some of the wide receivers have be, have played the last two years under his tutelage. Um, he was a lead recruiter for Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, and Isaiah Brevard. Those are three you know, great commits, Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton, both two high four stars. Um, and you want to keep him around. You want to show that you're interested in him. You want to show that you want to keep him around for you know, multiple years to come. Uh, I don't know if this means that he's going to be promoted to co-offensive coordinator, offensive coordinator thing. I don't anticipate that to happen, even though Oregon does have a vacancy there. I would anticipate Oregon to go out and either try to find a head coach offensive coordinator or just single those two out again and have a, uh, a game manager like Mario is and have a real offensive coordinator. Um, it'll be It'll be interesting, but I do like the move in general. I think it'll work out in the long run to show that Oregon wants to keep Brian McClendon around. Now, moving forward, we did speak with uh, real, real quick before we dive into Rob Mullins. Do we see any kind of philosophical changes with the offense with with uh, McClendon as head coach? Does I mean? I think the natural connection a lot of F Duck fans have been making is do we see Oregon air it out more because McClendon is the receiver's coach. I think that's to me, is going to be curious of how does he approach this bull prep? How does he approach this game? Do we see airing it out more? Do we see some rotations at quarterback? Do we see some weird, some different rotations at skill positions what kind of adjustments, what kind of changes do we see on offense? Well, first, do we know who's calling plays? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, Joe Moorhead's also gone, so the, we don't have an offensive – I mean, we don't know who the offensive coordinator is. So um, is it as simple as McClendon is interim head coach and calling plays? Is that is that what it is? If that's the case, then um, maybe. Uh, you know, you look at his offense at South Carolina, it just point blank wasn't overly exciting. Um, I, I – I, would imagine maybe we'll see 
some minor changes. I can't imagine it's that much, though. I mean, you're not going to rework an entire offense, especially with no guarantee that you're the full-time, unless there is a guarantee in place that you are the full-time play caller. And if maybe that's in place, like maybe, maybe, maybe McClendon, they're saying, hey, you're going to be, this is all hypothetical. You know, the interim head coach, we're going to make you the play caller and the offensive coordinator going forward. These are probably promises, by the way, you don't make without having a head coach in place because that's a whole lot to give. Somebody. Right. But I, I, so I don't know. I, I wouldn't imagine you're going to see too stark a differences, to be honest. And I'm really curious to see who's in charge of the offense just as a whole now. Um, there's a couple of candidates. I mean, if Jim Mastro's calling the plays, which, by the way, he was the one that filled in for Joe Moorhead at Stanford. Um, that's the running back coach. And I thought he did a pretty darn good job in that game. I know obviously Oregon's offense didn't perform well. I thought that was largely based upon play at quarterback. Um, but like in that instance, it wasn't a significant alteration. I mean, I think they followed the game plan, but of course, Joe Moorhead's not here to build the game plan. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty just of like, I don't know who's building the game plan. I don't know who's calling plays. So it's hard for me to really know one way or the other. Um, if we find McClendon is in charge of that, then maybe we can dive deeper into that i'm not sure jared do you have like a better feel for it it's kind of hard given all the questions we have um first let's start off with we don't know who the heck is staying on the staff so we don't know right. who's coaching what uh and we have no idea what brian mcclendon's role has been this year other than wide receiver coach and the offensive like play, play, play calling system um you know to assume that he's going to open it up and start throwing it to his guys out wide is kind of silly mostly because, well, most of those guys out wide are hurt. They still aren't getting back Jalen Red or Johnny Johnson, who are their two biggest playmakers. Mike Pittman's still not coming back through the portal. Um, so it's going to be a struggle if you want to go out and throw it. Oh, and yeah, right. You have Anthony Brown as the quarterback. So that's already another issue. So Well, so can, actually, Jared, another thought I had, sorry to cut you off, but. No, you're good. It feels really unlikely, doesn't it, that Brian McClendon would be like, let's start Ty Thompson, which to me feels like a move you could have seen someone like Mario make with some sort of long-term plan continuity for building for the future. But if you're Brian McClendon and you're an interim head coach, you're not thinking that way. I don't think no. at all. You're thinking about trying to do your best in that game because that's all that you have guaranteed. Yeah, I have a zag. You want to win and make the best, I have a zag. The best possible outcome you can have. Zag I mean, did, would either of you guys expect Mario to put Ty Thompson into a game like this? Because I certainly hells don't. No. I thought it was possible. I, I thought it was possible if you're talking about building towards next season because we saw something like that in last year's Fiesta Bowl where they did make a shift in the game. I think forward thinking. That was thinking to win to the game, figure, though. I think that was forward thinking to try to figure things out because they knew that they weren't sure with Shuck and they were trying to determine things. And I thought that was all botched to begin with, so we don't have to like totally relitigate right. that. But that was the only reason in my head I held some hope of like maybe there is enough forward thinking of let's try Ty Thompson at least a little in this game because I thought that was – I mean like this is me going full conspiracy and this is like kind of sidetracking the show. But I thought it was very telling that, that Mario was like we're going to monitor the redshirt year with Ty Thompson. We didn't play him against Utah. We didn't play him in either of those second halves and they're saving and now he has one game to play where if he plays in the Alamo Bowl – he's not going to burn his red shirt year. So I thought, I thought the plan kind of all along felt like it was, we're going to try to actually do something with Ty in the bowl game. Um, assuming it's not the Rose bowl, but I could be totally mistaken. And, and probably is just more, basically me boiling down to trying to be hopeful that there was some sort of forward thinking at quarterback. Cause we just haven't seen that very much. I would not be surprised if Cristobal or if uh, Ty Thompson maybe gets like one series in the first half or maybe one series or maybe two series in the first half. And then, depending upon how he performs, depending upon how Anthony Brown performs and how the game is going, 
then the second half could be a situation where if it's, hey, things are out of control, Brown's not playing good, let's throw him in. Uh, if he plays really well in that one or two series in the first half and it's close and Anthony Brown is not um, there, then they make the change. But I don't think it would it would blow me away if – Anthony Brown starts the first series and then doesn't play really the rest of the game, like Teleshuck did. I just, I don't know, to kind of put a cap on this, in my perspective, I still feel like Oregon needs to win this football game. And to put Anthony Brown out there is a much more consistent yes. answer to the quarterback than anybody else. Sure. And with so much inconsistency in the program and limbo right now, why would I take the chance and throw Ty Thompson out there against Oklahoma's defense? I just doesn't make any sense. But moreover, we don't know what Brian McClendon is going to do with any play calling. He just was named interim yesterday. We don't know who's the offensive coordinator. We don't know who's staying, who's going. We still have three more weeks until this game. So I think it's, I don't know. I just think it's silly to even have the discussion of what he's going to do because we don't know what's going to happen in 24 hours. All right. Um, do we want to discuss? We need. We need. We need real quick, Eric. Just give us the the the, the broad strokes that Mullins gave us when about what he's going to be looking for in this next coaching search because he's done a couple now. And yeah. he, he did mention he's learned a lot about it, um, about Oregon and the perception of Oregon. But give us the broad strokes here of what he's going to be looking for. Right. Um, he, he noted that Oregon is a, a program that has been consistent and successful even throughout a lot of coaching turnover, which has taken place during his tenure. Um, they've won four conference championships. These are my words, not his, but just kind of explain the point. They've won four conference championships with him as the athletic director. Three different head coaches have led the program during that time. Mario won two of those. Um, Mark Elfridge and Chip Kelly won the others. Um, he pointed to that, that the program will be healthy. Uh, things that he's looking for, and I thought he was pretty open here and did say, like, a full quote was, we're going to have a diverse, broad talent pool. Um, it'll be a national search. So there's this is not limited based upon what Rob Mullins is saying. And I wouldn't expect him to come out day one and say it is because that would be problematic if it was, hey, we're just going to look at Pac-12 coaches with ties to Oregon and everybody be going like, well, OK, well, there's like six coaches that are options now. Um, no, you've got to keep this open. So that that's the there's that point he, he mentioned a couple of times that his phone was already blowing up, which isn't surprising. I think also because when you saw the monetary value that John Canzano attached to the Mario Cristobal thing, I think a lot of coaches are going eight and a half million dollars. That's pretty good. I, I like, tell me on that Oregon. That's that. not bad. That's a talented roster. That's a program that has a lot of resources, which is another thing um, Rob Mullen said. Um, he, he also mentioned performance uh, and excellence and experience will be important factors. These are nothing. I mean, again, I think that's you're reading through this kind of going like this could apply for most coaches, um, experience and performance being critical factors. I think a thing that was really that kind of stood out. And I think this is why from like a stylistic perspective, I think it's almost more but less about the stylistic as a coach and as it is more about like the person, because um, he did say, obviously, we want somebody who shares our values. The student athlete has to be first. That's the priority. Um, mm -hmm. And then he said, obviously, someone who exhibits the leadership traits that can lead us to be a top 10 program. Um, so, you know, and, and he kept coming back to a great leader. 
So that was sort of telling. I, I mean, again, a lot of what he's saying here fits. The, you could fit a lot of different people into this kind of <laughs> this kind of descriptions. Um, and he also said regarding uh, you know we brought up he's had experience doing this. Um, that what has he learned from the two most recent hires that saw coaches leave for Florida prematurely before the school was ready? He said, we're not worrying about that because if we're doing our job properly, school, other schools are going to want our coaches. And that means we're doing things the right way. So um, it doesn't sound, I mean, I communicated some concerns. I think concerns have been out there from numerous folks about getting somebody who might have some longevity. I'm not saying that won't play a role, but he's communicating that they're that they're open to kind of going to a similar deal where they look at somebody who maybe doesn't have um, geographic history maybe on the West Coast. All right. Um, let's transition now to some betting odds that have been released. Um, Sportsline released the favorites for this job. And I think first and foremost is one that I, I think – the Oregon fan is split probably and probably honestly 50 50 and it's the favorite Chip Kelly. He has the, the highest or the best odds to become the head coach at Oregon, according to sports line of plus plus one fifty. Um, he just finished his fourth year with UCLA. He has a buyout of 9 million, but that drops to zero on January 6th. Um, he has only had one winning season at UCLA. And that was this year when they went eight and four and made a bowl game and finished second in the Pac-12 South division. Um, he has seen nine players transfer out of the program since the end of the season. That's something you have to monitor. Um, but you also have to look at the fact that he went 46 and nine at Oregon from 2009 to 2012. And a lot of people in Oregon's athletic department, their big boosters have previously worked with Chip Kelly and have reached high levels of success with Chip Kelly. So this is one that's interesting. Um, and it's from a betting perspective, according to Sportsline, the most likely outcome. Just a thought on the January 6th buyout thing, that better not have any impact on when this hire is made. Because if they wait then for Chip Kelly, I will be. I think that's a real mistake. Um, if you're going to hire Chip Kelly, you could do it today. I mean, I don't think there's any question he would take the job. And I don't think there's any question that if that's going to take place, you would want that done as soon as possible to try to get recruiting and everything else set up. Um, $9 million uh, could be kind of offset by the buyout Miami just had to pay Oregon as well, which I think is identical. So, I mean, from a financial point, and I think money is not an object for, it's not it's not going to be an issue for Oregon, for at least not $9 million to buy out a coach. So um, if you're going to hire Chip Kelly, you don't wait to January 6th. I still have a, I mean you mentioned it Matt you're right in terms of like having you know messages and texted some of my buddies that are Oregon fans and you also see it on, on duckterritory.com on the message board uh very split reaction there are certainly people that are living in the uh you know the, the success of oh wow that was so much fun when he was the coach here and a lot of people who are like there are so many flaws to this hire that it would really disappoint me if this is where it goes um I think Jared we don't I don't need to relitigate everything we talked about yesterday but I thought Jared brought up good points of the guy hasn't proven to be a great recruiter really ever. Um, the success of his offense was largely predicated on it being innovative and new and cutting edge and something that defenses weren't prepared for. And you've seen a shift now where stylistically a lot of what he had been successful doing is kind of run of the mill. And it's what a lot of schools are doing. Um, he is no longer 
considered quite the innovator. It doesn't mean he doesn't have good offenses. UCLA, I believe, had the first or second best rushing offense in the Pac-12 this year. Um, they were very, very good at running the football. Um, at the same time, like I don't think it's a hire that really gets you, your juices pumping, in part because you look at what Mario Cristobal did, and I know Oregon had more talented teams, but head-to-head -head with UCLA, and he won every one of those matchups. So um, I'm not I'm not exactly jumping for joy if this happens. I will understand it based upon the history. Um, the longevity part I have talked about, I think, would fit here because I would imagine Chip Kelly isn't looking anywhere if he comes back home, and now you've got your coach for the foreseeable future. The question is, is he going to take you to a place where you want to retain him, or is he still a coach who's going to feel like he's on the hot seat? Because he's been – and by the way, like it was two months ago – maybe less, that UCLA, there was a lot of rumors about would they even want to keep him as their coach. So mm -hmm. that's kind of part of why I see fault with this, um, while also wanting to pay great respect to what he's done in the past at Oregon because he was the head coach for, I will still say, and I think in those listening, the best four-year run in school history. Yeah, and that four-year run is why people still want to hire him. Um, I just think it's wrong, which is, uh, which is fine. It's a, it was the best stretch in school history, absolutely, no questions asked. Um, and But he hasn't done anything since. Ever since going to the Eagles and going to the Niners and back to UCLA, just mediocrity. And if Oregon's looking for mediocrity and to go 8-4 and four in the Pac-12 every year, maybe, be my guest. Um, Oregon is right now a bigger national football brand than UCLA is, but – if UCLA gets a higher right, they can be as just as big as a, of a brand. And that's what's been hurting UCLA is they didn't get that higher right. They went for somebody who was looked at as safe. They went for the headline. They went for the news attention grabber. And it just didn't work out. Um, mostly because UCLA had no recruiting classes. They didn't bring in any talent. Um, they finally had talent this year, but it was basically all through the transfer portal. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson was finally a senior and finally learned how to play quarterback adequately sometimes. So I'm 100% out on Chip Kelly. Um, anytime this rumor has been brought up, it was brought up uh, when Oregon, when Willie Taggart left, the, Willie, the, the Chip Kelly effect. And that was, I thought that was silly as well. Um, so I'm going to put my foot down again and say this, this needs to stop. If, if Oregon hires Chip, that's just such a, it's such a safe play. It's just just not exactly where this program is headed. It's going to take them in such a different direction than, than the last three or four years have. The next couple of coaches on this list by Sportsline, um, Kalani Sataki of BYU, he has the second best odds of plus 400. Justin Wilcox of California, former Oregon Duck football player, he has the third best odds of plus 500. Um, either one of these two guys pop out to you personally, Sataki has won, um, 21 of his past 24 games, but I would probably lean more towards a Wilcox over a Sataki. Um, just because I, he plays independent that helps a little bit. I do acknowledge that BYU beat up the PAC 12 this year, but was really the PAC 12 that good. Um, and I like the fact that Wilcox at least knows the area, knows the Oregon program to some degree. Um, whereas Sataki is a BYU alum and it's probably, you're probably going to have to pay him a significant chunk of change to get him to leave his alma mater. 
Well, I would say uh, if the Pac-12 is not good, Sataki had more wins than Cal did this year. That's true. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, that point stands. Um, I like Sataki more than Wilcox in terms of um, we talk about the longevity part. He's a, like this is another thing I think about sometimes is if you're going to hire a coach away from their 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 um, alma mater like Sataki, who's a BYU guy, then what's his dream job that's going to take him away? I mean, he's already quote unquote in that dream job, and so sure. if he's open to going to Oregon, I see that as being somebody who would be open to being there for the longevity, right, and for the money. Now, I will say BYU has a lot of money to throw out, and if they're, 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 this could be pretty expensive potentially, and um, we've already seen how aggressive they've been with the NLI stuff. Um, I mean, throwing millions of dollars to walk-ons and stuff and all that. Um, it's been pretty, not not a million to one walk-on, but putting a huge uh, pool of money towards a bunch of uh, student athletes has been pretty impressive. But um, no, I, I think uh, I'd go Sataki over Wilcox. I, I, I just am not necessarily, like nothing from Justin Wilcox coach teams. I, maybe I'm just more familiar with them because I watch them so frequently. They are competitive with Oregon. They never strike me as teams that are going to play for anything greater than maybe maybe a divisional championship like that feels like kind of the ceiling and they were pretty close in 19 before garbers went down um I, th to me that that sort of sits similar to to chip in terms of you hire him in part because of his history right. and ties to the schools like like let's put it this way if um if the let's just what's what's a comparable position in the big 12 to, to oregon. oregon to yeah. oregon Oklahoma State, for for example, maybe, or I don't sure. know what it is. Would Oklahoma I think Oregon's better than that? But sure, I'm I'm just trying to find a school that feels somewhat comparable to ask the question of if Oklahoma, Oklahoma. State had, okay, if Oklahoma, okay, Oklahoma then that makes playoffs. Yeah, okay, but regardless, okay, let's say it's Oklahoma. Does Oklahoma even have Wilcox on their short list? No, of course not. So, like, why why is I don't know. I mean, I just like it. It feels like it's it's a convenient that's, one. That's the point. Right. These are all – I don't understand the convenient hires or the convenient opportunities. It's Oregon is past that. They don't want to go hire their buddy next door because it's the easy option. It's that, that should be the last option on the table. Oregon should go look to hire one of their dream candidates. You just saw it at, at USC and you've seen it at LSU. There's no job in this country for college football coaches that is untouchable, probably except for Alabama. I think that's the only one. But if you toss enough money at somebody, someone will leave. And Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma, who's always in the college football discussion. They had a down year this year and lost two games, 10 and two. Uh, Brian Kelly is <laughs> number five in the country, right there, of getting into the college football playoffs. And he said, see ya, last week of the season. It's ridiculous. So for Oregon to just be like, ah, well, Chip, Justin, you know, we just want to be mediocre. We just want to be eight and four every year. I think that's an issue. I, I, I don't know why. I mean, obviously, it's for the betting lines. They're going to put those guys first because it is more favorable. It is the, the safer choice to bet on. Um, but for Oregon in general, like these, I would rather take Sataki as a coach because I think he's new. He's, a, he's new blood to the program. He can bring in a different uh, cultural and program environment that I think Oregon might need. But if you're going for Chip or Justin Wilcox, it's going to be more or less the same as it's just a standard program. You need something. You need some flair. That's what Mario brought originally. It was this new, profound, you know, iron sharpens iron type of deal. 
we are determined, we are disciplined, we are physical, all that, all those things. And that was new for Oregon. They'd never been anything like that before. And I'm not saying you need something completely new, but you need something that you haven't had before. And that's so this the Chip Kelly, the Justin Wilcox, I think are would be poor hires for Oregon. The next on the list here, next couple groups, um, Brian Harson of Auburn. He's a plus 700, former Washington head coach, former Oregon receiver coach. Chris Peterson is plus 800. Matt Campbell is of Iowa State is plus 1,000. Um, I don't think Campbell and I don't think Peterson are realistic options for Oregon. I think Peterson is one – that you have to call and see if he's interested in probably Campbell as well. Um, and then the Harson one, I, I don't think is a fit. I don't, I don't think it works. Auburn wants to fire him, but they just can't afford to do it. Um, and so why, why do Auburn's dirty work for them and take their coach that they want to get rid of? Um, it doesn't, doesn't fit for me. So um, I know he wants the job that I do know. I know he's very interested but I don't know if Oregon has the same level of, of interest in him. None of these names I think are realistic or, or move the needle for me. Peterson and Campbell would move the needle for me. Oh, I'm not, those guys move the needle. I just don't think they're realistic. Realistic. I don't know. Um, if those guys aren't realistic, then, then it's kind of concerning because maybe that, and maybe yeah. that's why the odds are what they are and Oregon will quote unquote have to settle because the other names that, I mean, the two names I've gotten most excited about doing this. And I guess maybe I'll say Sataki is in this probably a tier below, but like Campbell and Peterson are the names we've heard so far, by far the ones I'm most intrigued by. Um, you know, I, I think the other ones I've heard kind of don't do much for me at all. In fact, they feel like those are pretty underwhelming and, and, and they could make an underwhelming hire and it could work. Right. I mean, it's possible. I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying it's possible that we could be really disappointed with the, the choice that Rob Mullins makes and it could still work. That's not a, that's not impossible. Sometimes that happens. You know, strangely, when Dana Altman was hired, they, that was on the, the, you know, and Matt was at the center of this coaching search. That was on the tail of a search that had like Tom Izzo and Jamie Dixon. Like and a 39 bunch of, days. Yeah, and it was a really long search. And they ended up with Dana Altman and everyone went, well, that sucks. And now he's going to be the – he's already the best coach in program history. It doesn't mean it can't happen. Mm -hmm. I will say, to me, if the, if, if the names that we're mentioning – and Harris, Harrison's one of them along with Wilcox and Chip, that those just don't do a lot for me. And those feel kind of, again, a little convenient. Um, I would I – I think – I was really impressed with Campbell against Oregon last year in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, I, I thought that team, I mean, Matt and I, we kind of crucified the Cyclones for not having the same talent, and they went out in the field and showed it didn't matter. And that, to me, is a sign of a really good coach. And I think, yep. I'm sure, Rob Mullen saw that firsthand of, hey, that was really embarrassing. We did not play very well. Tip of the cap to those guys, because if you go look at the recruiting rankings, I think Oregon was like the 10th most talented team according to the 247 Sports Team Composite. And Iowa State was somewhere in like the 50s, Matt. I forget. It was, I mean, they weren't, it wasn't, it yeah, was a it huge was 50s. difference. It was level of Oregon State. Yeah, it was much further down. And the fact that they were able to, to win that Fiesta Bowl to beat, um, I think they beat Oklahoma once in the year, but then lost in the conference championship, if memory serves. Um, yep. All of that was really impressive last year. So um, I, I think that's a super intriguing hire. I think Chris Peterson, is a really interesting name. You know, I've, I've talked to a couple of people that that was the name that they brought up as their choice if they if they had one. And these aren't decision makers, but these are people that 
care about Oregon sports and, and we're just kind of off the cuff throwing out some names. That was the name I've had a couple people bring up first. Found that to be kind of interesting if that's an opportunity. He does have Oregon ties, by the way. And for me, would feel like a quote unquote pretty big hire. That would feel like because the, what differentiates like a Chris Peterson from a Chip Kelly is Chris Peterson had sustained success at multiple stops and he didn't leave the coaching. He wasn't ever forced to leave his job because he wasn't doing well. And there was never a real significant dip, right? I mean, at Washington, it went from winning a conference championship to being one year removed from that to not having a great season to him stepping aside. If that's an option, and I texted my one of my, one of my good friends is a Washington fan. Maybe I'm outing myself for even admitting that. But I texted him that name, and he got and he said, "I would be so mad if that happens." So um, maybe maybe for that point alone, Chris Peterson's high on my list. Again, I with Matt, I don't know the real, the re, I don't know how realistic it is, but you have to try. You yeah, better try. Have to, that, I think I think that would be a huge victory. I agree. I think Chris Peterson would be just like you said, a huge victory. He's shown that he's a good coach on multiple collegiate levels. Uh, he's shown that he can recruit as well. Um, he's shown that he can develop talent. Um, he's had always had great defenses. He's always been creative on offense, even when given, you know, like uh, not the best set of quarterbacks in the world. Um, he's been good. I think that would be a home run hire for Oregon. I think that would also be a big hire. Um, obviously, realis realistically, we have no clue. We don't have any clue about any of these guys, really. But I think Matt Campbell would also be a good hire. Um, there's a reason that his name was always listed with USC's and LSU's and, uh, and every once in a while, like Oklahoma's Penn state's um, he's a, he's a guy, he's a dude. What he's been able to do with Iowa state's program, even though they were down this year and they kind of came back to being Iowa state, I, I still think is impressive. Um, if you give him a program of Oregon's magnitude and their resources and their opportunities to go and recruit players and develop players more, I think he could really flourish. Um, but those are the type of names that you want Oregon to see. You want yeah. to see on their hot board. You want to see on their betting lines. You want to see in rumors. Um, and one of those guys would be just fantastic. Um, again, how realistic is it? We're not sure. But with the money that was thrown to Mario Cristobal, yeah. I think you'd have a pretty realistic chance at landing, again, Almost anybody for eight and a half million dollars a year. A lot to say no to. Next couple of guys on this list Dave Aranda, Baylor plus 1500, Bill O'Brien, Alabama's offensive coordinator plus 1500, and then Andy Avalos, former Oregon DC, now Boise head coach, who is an alum of Boise plus 1800. I think Dave Aranda is the name that. If you're offering eight and a half million to Mario Cristobal, you offer eight and a half million to Dave Aranda and make him tell you no. You probably offer him more, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, I think Aranda is very, very good. He's a West Coast guy. Um, a majority of his coaching has come on the West Coast, but he's had stopped at LSU as the defense coordinator when they won the national championship in 2019. He's had stops at Wisconsin when – uh, Oregon, I think Oregon played against uh, Aranda once. Um, very, very good coach. And I think is the number one target on this list. If, if you're asking me who they should go after, and like Jared said, um, they, they're offering big money, go big. 
And this is this is the big name to me. It, it would also be a shift um, in philosophy for Oregon because Mario Cristobal, offensive offensive minded coach, Willie Taggart, offensive minded coach, Mark Helfrich, offensive minded coach, Chip Kelly, offensive minded coach, Mike Bellotti, offensive minded coach, and I'm pretty sure Rich Brooks was an offensive minded coach. Dave Aranda's defense, and they are really good. He's been really good at every stop. And he has a really good offense right now with Jeff Grimes as his offensive coordinator. And you could also you could also go and get Aranda paired up with the LSU offensive coordinator in 2019, Joe Brady, who got fired this week uh, by the Carolina Panthers at the NFL level by Matt Rule. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think that would be a very enticing combination as well i think this is the guy if you're gonna go big for me this is the one you go big for if, if they got aranda and brady that would be that would be really fireworks for me i would feel really happy i would be very excited as somebody who covers this program to see what the future holds because you're right you're checking the boxes of a great defensive coach in aranda and then you have joe brady who i know some of the luster maybe came down because of what happened in the NFL, I also point to just like they didn't really have much talent on that offense and McCaffrey was in and out of the lineup and the quarterback play was brutal. Um, can we really can we really measure? I don't think so. Um, that's a guy who wasn't – I mean, he was – everybody wanted that guy after that 2020 championship. Um, so, like, that, I signed me up for that. Andy Avalos is just a name that is – I wasn't so weird. expecting. <laughs> um, I will say, like, I think Andy Avalos was great as a defensive coordinator at Oregon. Like I loved the way he coached. I loved being around him. I thought he was a pretty stand-up guy. Um, would be very interesting as somebody to discuss in this. I think if that's ultimately where it lands, there's going to be a lot of people disappointed because he's not been proven as a head coach. And frankly, his year at Boise State was one of the worst they've had in some time. I think they only won seven games. Um so maybe not a lot of buzz there. That's basically hiring based upon relationships you've had and the upside of what you think he can be. And Oregon, you know, administration has obviously seen that firsthand that Andy Avalos is a competent, enticing young coach. I don't know if this is the time to make that hire. Yeah. I think if he had three to five years of coaching experience at Boise State and it was really good coaching experience and they were successful and winning Mountain West championships – I'd have a different answer. Feels like that one doesn't totally land for me. Um, Mm -mm. I will note also like using the Kalani Sataki logic I used earlier, where if you hire the guy from his alma mater, you've got a good chance of keeping him for a really long time because his dream job, he's already left it for you. Same thing with Andy Avalos as a Boise State guy. So if you're thinking about that perspective, he also obviously has West Coast ties, his coach at Oregon, all that fits. I just think the timing feels wrong. I feel like he needs to be more proven as a head coach to really hand him the keys of a school like this, of, of a program like this. Um, Bill O'Brien is kind of breaking my brain. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I love it, but I also am not convinced it couldn't work. It's kind of yeah, one of Alabama those. offense. Well, it's kind of one of those where I go He's like. He's a good OC. I know he is. And that's where I, but like his, as a head coach, it's of late. No thanks. Of late, not been great. So, um yeah, I that could be. I could very well see that being one, like I mentioned earlier, where they hire somebody and you feel like oh, was at the right hire, and then ends up being great. Like O'Brien feels like a name that could work because he's already proven himself as an offensive mind and he's had success. It's been a minute as a head coach, so like, like maybe I. But I'm 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 not I'm, of the three we mentioned there. 
that's like a, a real wild of the of the names we've mentioned in, in totality. I think we've mentioned nine or ten. That's kind of the most weird one to me. That in my head, I'm not convinced makes sense, but like also not convinced couldn't work. So it's a weird way of me saying my brain is broken. Here's... I think I'm most surprised by Andy Avalos. I don't yeah. get that one because he, you know, he's been gone for a year and a half. I don't know why Oregon. And I like Andy Avalos a lot. I thought his defenses were really good at Oregon. Um, but, you know, he's been a coach for head coach for one year. Why would Oregon go right. after somebody like that? And, yeah. again, no disrespect for Andy Avalos because I think he could ultimately become a good head coach. I think Boise State's a great gig for him right now. Yeah. But I'm – yeah, Bill O'Brien, you know, ever since he was the general manager and the head coach at Houston – Try to do his best Bill Belichick impression. I've been out on him. <laughs> Great offensive line, though. Alabama, you watch them this year. They're, you know, they're pretty good. Um, also helps to have Bryce Young. I am going to continue to push all of my chips in on the Dave Aranda hype train. Um, I'm all in. I've, this is how I talked about it last podcast. So I'll continue to do it again. Uh, this guy is good. He's a defensive-minded coach, just like Matt said. Uh, here's where his defenses have finished in total defense since 2013. Ninth, ninth, second, fifth, 12th, 30, 32nd. That was three years at Wisconsin, four years at LSU. Um, the lowest he went was 32nd overall. It's pretty good. Um, obviously, you have a lot of talent at LSU, but the fact that he was able to make Wisconsin into three top 10 defenses with Wisconsin talent, no disrespect to Wisconsin, with Wisconsin talent, it's pretty damn impressive. And I don't know the stats for Baylor this year, but Baylor was a good team overall. Um, yeah. They were a good defense. If you watch that game against Oklahoma State, they had four interceptions on Spencer Sanders. Um, granted, Sanders is not the greatest quarterback, and Oklahoma State's offense isn't great. But to see a Big 12 team be able to play defense and play defense well, I love it. And – like Matt said, this is a guy, if you want, or if you can spend that $85 million that you were allegedly were going to spend on Mario Cristobal, this is the dude to drop the bag on and make him, make him say no. Because I think if they have the, or I think if they have the opportunity to drop that much money, I don't think he'll say no. And I don't think Baylor will be able to, come close to matching an offer. Agreed. One name that I'm surprised didn't make this list, um, and I think Oregon has to consider, is Tom Herman. Mario Cristobal at Oregon was 35 and 13 in five seasons, or four seasons in one bowl game. He won a Rose Bowl. He lost a Fiesta Bowl. He won two conference championships. He went 12 and 2 in 2019, 10 and 3 this season, 9 and 4 in his first full season as head coach. Tom Herman, four seasons at Texas, seven and six, 10 and four, eight and five, seven and three, 32 and 18. Very, very similar. I had about five losses, five more losses than Cristobal did. He went to four bowl games. He won all four, including a Sugar Bowl, a top 10 ranking in 2018 when they went 10 and four. He also had another top 10 finish at Houston when they went 13 and one in his first season there and they won the peach bowl um he had a top 20 finish in the year 2020 when they went seven and three um 
I know Herman has come out and said that he really likes the NFL, um, but this was when he was being linked as maybe offensive coordinator positions, not right. head coach positions. Is he really going to say, I like being an offensive analyst, I like the NFL more than being paid $8.5 million by the University of Oregon to be their head coach? And Herman's a, a, a West Coast guy, played football at Cal Lutheran, went to high school in Simi Valley, um, he was obviously born in Ohio, and he's also a younger name. He's still 46 years old. He's still a long life left in his coaching career, and yet he's had stops at Texas, Iowa State, Ohio State, Houston, Texas again. Now he's working in the NFL. He's won the Broyles Award in 2014, which is given out to the top assistant coach in the country. I think this is a name that has to be looked at and vetted by and run through by, by Oregon as well. It's another Bill O'Brien thing where it sort of breaks my brain where I, my opinion of Herman kind of was up and down and now it's kind of down just because the stuff at Texas didn't really work out. And I, the record wasn't awful clearly, um, but it's also a retreat coach. And I don't like getting in the habit of hiring those type of coaches, which is why like, the names that I like the most that we've talked about are Dave Aranda, who's right now has Baylor right on the cusp of a college football playoff berth. Well, I like Matt Campbell, who has just last year shown he can take a very, very, I mean, I would state that was their best year in school history. Why well, I like a Kalani Sataki, who, like you said before, I think is 21 and three in the last two seasons. Um, you know, that's why those names are interesting to me. I mean, my just, my most recent memory of, Tom Herman was he was the coach that was fired at Texas that Steve Sarkeesian replaced. And I don't always love that. Now, it doesn't mean it can't be a fit. Like I said earlier, this stuff is all really fickle. He proved himself as a young coach that everybody around the country wanted, right? When he took that Texas job, that was considered a slam dunk hire. Like people were pretty hyped up on that and it didn't mm -hmm. work out. Um, that doesn't mean he's not a good coach still. The coach that led him to get that position is still there. It's just, can he be that at Oregon? What can he be at Oregon, I guess? And I'm kind of like talking myself into the more we think about this, like a, maybe a defensive minded coach is the way to go here and, and why I, I really like Dave Aranda. But sorry, that's just a thought I had here thinking about all these offensive coaches because all of the other coaches are primarily offensive minded. Will Cox is the only one that's defense. And Andy Avalos as well, if we're, if we're yeah. taking that one serious. Yeah, true. I, I'm out on Herman. Uh, I think he's a great offensive mind. I just feel like his, I just feel like his off the field stuff is going to keep falling wherever he goes. He had Houston and all the Ohio State roof that he had with Ryan Day and, and Urban Meyer, and that followed him to Texas. I think there's a reason he's probably in the NFL now as an analyst. Um, he's an extremely talented offensive mind, and I think a lot of colleges would like that. But again, I think there's a reason he's in the NFL where there's a lot less of a personality to go with a coach uh they don't it's just it's just an easier job to do from a media perspective from an individual perspective you don't have to go meet with people all the time i like him as an offensive just as as an analyst something like that a coordinator um but i agree with you eric i think going defensive first is probably more important I truly think it is easier to find a good offensive mind in college football than it is to find a good defensive mind. And I, I think 
Oregon has kind of seen that at points in the last couple of years um, where their defensive minds, I think Andy Avalos is probably the best defensive mind they had under Mario Cristobal. And once that all kind of came to fruition, I thought that that, that team played really well. Um, 2020 was, I don't know, it was such a hard hard season to really look at as a whole perspective because of all the opt-outs and everything. Um, but that 2019 team, obviously all the talent that they had, but that was a very stingy, very, very good defense. Um, and offensively, I think, I think Oregon will be okay with not having Mario Cristobal as the head coach anymore. Just, just an idea. Um, Something tells me that the pistol might go away. Something tells me the check downs on third and eight may go away. Something tells me that the power offense that we've all grown accustomed to may go away a little bit. So I think offensively Oregon can do just fine moving forward. It's going to be interesting to see play out. That's for sure. Um, we've got a hot board. We've got some reporting on some of these names. You can go to duckterritory.com for that. You can read that on the site. We've got some recruit reactions as well on the site. Um, Rob Bowen's comments are on the site. Um, we, we've got the full gamut on duckterritory.com of this story and all the tentacles that it has. And if you're not a subscriber to duckterritory.com, please consider subscribing. 50% off right now for an annual membership. A huge savings. It comes out to being less than $5 each month. Um, I can tell you right now, a lot, a lot, a lot of Duck fans have taken advantage of that. We've had one of the best days in, in sign-up history um, yesterday. Uh, and, and so don't be one of those fans that don't come over and, and check, the, check out the site. At least give us a try. I'm pretty confident you'll like the work of the three of us as well as the entire 24-7 Sports Network. Um, until we have you on the show again next week, sometime this week, I should say, we don't really know. It could be a daily thing. We've mentioned this before, you know, changes are always happening right now in coaching searches. They're always wild. They're always fluid, but until we we're back on the, on the show, uh, you've been listening to the odds and audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.